You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. What is that smell? Sarah and I have been asking ourselves that question a lot lately, ever since our son Nate was brought into our lives. That Do you smell that? That is horrendous. What is that smell? So no, I'm not making a passing comment on your isolation hygiene routine. Uh, What I'm actually doing is asking the question that Paul is asking in the section of scripture that we're going to be looking at today. What is that smell? I don't know about you, but maybe there's a, a smell that transport you back, that whenever you smell it, it makes you think of a moment or a memory or a time that is so strongly embedded in your mind. I think for me, one of those smells is uh, this. This is Lynx, uh, which is, I think, every single teenage male in Australia had one of these growing up, probably given to them during Christmas. Mums, dads, we didn't actually enjoy it that much. But uh, in every single locker room, this was doused everywhere. In fact, I'm pretty sure that most of my friends believe that the more that you sprayed of this, that the more partners you could attract, that... The more that you spray it around, the better it was going to be for everyone. Oh, oh that is oh. <coughs> oh, that is that is horrendous. That is horrendous. That is definitely a smell of death unto death. But the reason I ask the question, what is that smell, is because Paul's asking a similar kind of question. He's asserting that Christians are meant to smell like Jesus. That when people experience us, when people come into contact with us, they're meant to go, that, that reminds me of Jesus. That reminds me of, of that, that guy that they talk about all the time. That when they experience Christians, they're meant to smell Jesus. And so I'd encourage you to pick up your Bibles and follow along with me. We're going to be going in the book of 2 Corinthians today, chapter 2, verses 12 to 3, verse 6. It's, it's great. I'm, I'm really excited to jump in. And so pick up your Bibles and we're going to start it now uh, and, and go for our lives because I, I think this has got a real word for us. So from verse 12. Paul says this, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though the Lord opened a door for me, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus. Instead, I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia. And it's important to remember what happened last week. We heard that Paul had had these allegations brought before him. That there were these allegations against his character, that he was a double-minded man, someone not to be trusted. And so Paul had sent a severe letter, and now instead of going the short route overseas via Ephesus to Corinth, now he's making the long way around via land. And he found himself in the city of Troas, 
which was this important central trade hub that connected two regions. In fact, it would have been a melting pot, an incredibly important and significant place for gospel ministry. And in fact, when Paul finds himself there, he says, there was significant gospel opportunity before me. He said, the Lord opened a door for me. The only other time that Paul uses that phrase that the Lord opened a door is in Ephesus. In Ephesus, he sees a city-wide revival, hundreds if not thousands of people coming to Jesus. And Paul says, I can see the same thing here. And yet he's so troubled that he cannot find his brother Titus that he has to leave. And I think it's because he had sent Titus ahead of himself to receive the response from the church in Corinth after his severe letter that he needs to know how the church in Corinth has received his letter, whether they have a response for him, that he is so focused on the church in Corinth that he cannot even understand, he cannot embark on this significant gospel opportunity without hearing from them. And so he departs and leaves. And what we now see in the book of 2 Corinthians is this long digression, this long, almost what you would call a tangent. And what I think is happening is that Paul is leading us down a road where there is a fork and we must make a decision. Because what happens now, what he writes about from basically now chapter 2 verse 14 onwards to about chapter 7 is this long digression about true, authentic Christian ministry. He had been giving his defense. He had been responding to these allegations. But now he's saying this is what true Christian ministry is about. You are going to have to make a choice. And it's helpful to have in our head who Paul is probably writing against. He probably has in mind someone where they're about to encounter later on these super apostles who are bringing these allegations. These men and potentially women who are, who are incredible apostles or so they claim. And are saying that Paul actually isn't all that impressive. In fact, in comparison to them, Paul comes off as a meager leader. He is humble. He is self-sufficient. He is cautious. He is, does not want anything from the church in Corinth. And in, in, in comparison, these guys come off as bold and courageous and brash. They are excellent in oratory skills. They are well-skilled in speaking. Paul comes off second best in the world's eyes. These are the ones who have the favor of God upon them. And Paul is, he's not, he's not getting it done. But Paul is bringing this fork in the road between what real, authentic Christian leadership looks like. Paul says, I'm not a skilled speaker, but what I do speak is the gospel. Though I am unsuccessful in the world's eyes, I'm successful in my mission. I showed to you the evidence that I'm an apostle when I was with you. In fact, he says, I don't abuse you. I don't take money from you. And it's not because I'm not strong or powerful or that I could. but It's because I love you. Even those these super apostles that we're about to encounter in chapter 11 and 12 come off as successful in the world's eyes. The ways of the world are very different to the ways of God. In the church, we need to heed this warden. We do not need hero 
leaders, even though we crave them. We do not people who just seem impressive. What we need is men and women who empty themselves in sacrifice and service for the love of the people before us and for the glory of God out of changed lives. We don't need heroes. We need servants. And Paul is bringing us to this point where he says, you must make a decision about who you're going to follow. Will you follow the hero leader, the super apostle, those who seem impressive, seem like they're bringing fruit, or will you bring those? Will you come to those? Will you follow those who follow the way of sacrifice, who follow the way of service, who follow the way of the gospel? That's a choice that all of us have to make in those we follow. Everyone follows someone. Will we follow those who are Christ-sent or human-sent? Will we follow those who are spirit-filled or spiritually empty? We all have to decide. And he goes on in verses 14. He pivots and he says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession, and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ amongst those who are being saved, and amongst those who are, who are perishing. To some we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for such things? What Paul does here is pivot from talking about his emotional worry for the church in Corinth to thanking God for leading him. And what he probably has in mind here is something called the Pompa Triumphalis, this great lavish military victory parade that Rome would throw after great victories for great military commanders. And we don't really have anything like that in Australia. Maybe the Anzac Day Parade or something like that. But the memory that triggered in my mind when reading about this was last year when I went to the grand final. And uh, Richmond played GWS and Richmond dominated Go Tigers. And after the game, we went down to Punt Road, the spiritual home of Richmond. And it was insane. It was packed streets. People were on the roofs. There was singing. There was dancing. People were getting free Dusty Martin haircuts. It was, it was just the most crazy thing I've ever seen in my life. And I can only imagine that when Rome threw this great parade, this great celebration, that they would be doing the same kind of thing. You know, probably not the Dusty Martin haircut. They probably had better fashion than us. But it would have been off the chain. Everyone knew about these parties, these parades. And just about anything that could be gotten, gotten their hands on were used to celebrate. There were coins made, painting commissions, statues were made to celebrate these victories. But what would happen in these parades is that not only would the great military commander be celebrated, but those he conquered would have to come along for the ride. Not only was Rome saying, look at our great military commanders, look at those who've made victory for us. They're saying, look at who we've conquered. Look at who follows us. These great commanders, these great warriors of our enemies, they now belong to us. And so I think it's interesting that Paul uses this analogy to describe his own life. Because not only does he say God leads us in triumphant procession, he said God leads us. Not only is the one God leading, not only is God leading us, but we are the ones being led. In effect, what he's saying is those who follow in the footsteps of Christ are conquered slaves, conquered enemies. And maybe we don't like to think of that very often, that that's probably not our favorite description of ourselves. But it's interesting that it's one of Paul's. 
that he refers to himself as a conquered slave multiple times. He says, I'm a slave of Christ. In other parts, talking about his prior life before being converted to Jesus, before his conversion experience, he describes himself as an enemy of God. So as he participates in the parade of God, he participates as a former enemy who has been conquered by Christ and become his slave. But what we find is that what Paul experiences is not bitterness or sadness or turmoil, but rather he has been set free. That in his slavery to Jesus, he is free to be who he is made to be, worshipping the conquering king. It's an incredible motif and something that we need to consider ourselves. Do we think we are slaves of Christ? Do we see ourselves as conquered ones? Probably not, but maybe we should. Maybe we should. And what would happen in these parades is that not only were there the conquering kings, the conquering commanders and those who were being conquered, but there would be incense being thrown about by incense bearers. And it's this image that, that Paul starts to focus in on a little bit in the, the following verses. Because he says, God leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ amongst those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. What Paul is saying is that we better smell like Jesus, that those who Christ has conquered should smell like Jesus. In these parades, these incense bearers would go ahead of the commanders, those who made these great military victories, to announce their arrival. And he's saying that we do the same thing, that those who Christ has conquered influence the world around us by smelling like Jesus. People who experience us shouldn't be going, is that, is that Lynx Africa? Well, let's hope not anyway. Because our response should, no, 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 it's Jesus. Is that, is that Coco Chanel? No, 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 it's Jesus that you can smell on me. That's the one that you're thinking of. That's the memory that's taking place in your mind. These people remind me of Jesus. And so Christians, if we are to smell like Jesus, if we are to bring the aroma of the knowledge of him, the fragrance of Christ, we better smell like Jesus. It's one of the great disappointments to me that in this pandemic, this time of turmoil, there's been so much talk from so many Christians and so little Jesus. So much talk about different aspects, but so little hope, so little power, so little Jesus. And it's a good reminder to ask ourselves the question that as we encourage one another, that as we work for the joy of one another, as we heard last week, that we better bring Jesus. Like, Ask yourself the question, who am I leading others to hope in? Who am I bringing before them to hope in? Because we don't put our hope in political parties, left or right. We don't put our hope in scientific advancement or the eradication of the pandemic. We don't put our hope in the, the, the culture or the civilization being advanced. We don't put our hope in our dreams being achieved. We put our hope in Christ and Christ alone. And so we should be bringing him every opportunity we have. He is our rock, the same yesterday, today and forever. He is who our hope is in. It is strong. It is firm. It is secure in him. Christians, when people experience us, do they experience Jesus? 
Do they hear of Jesus? Do they smell Jesus? Do they, do they know of Jesus just by being around us? If people got close enough to you to smell you, would they know Jesus? We need to ask ourselves these questions. They are important questions because we need to be different. We're not going to smell the same to everyone because I, I love what Billy Graham says. You know, in a time of, of um, upheaval, he has this quote that goes something like this. I've read the end of the Bible. I know how the story ends. That alleviates our anxiety because we know that Jesus not only conquered death but comes back, that this world is his, that there will be a time where there is no death, no pain, no mourning, no tears for the former things have passed away. Christ is in control. He is triumphant. He is proceeding in front of us. So let us speak and live as those who have a hope that is secure. And he goes on in verse 16 to say, To some we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? What Paul is getting at is just a simple central truth that if we smell like Jesus, we're not going to smell the same to everyone. There will be some who smell our smell and smell life, and there will be some who smell our smell and smell death. That in Jesus, they will either experience life or death. People aren't going to experience us the same. I love what John Piper has to say about this. Quoting him, he says, Some people smell the sacrificial love of Christ and it only smells like death. They hear the gospel and all they hear is death. They look at the cross and all they see is death. They see no life, no hope, no future, no joy, and they turn away. And if they turn away forever, they die. They are the perishing. The smell of death leads to death. They are people who don't believe. They don't see Christ as precious. They don't see his suffering as a treasure. They don't smell his death for sinners as the sweetest fragrance in the universe. It is not a satisfying fragrance. It's simply the smell of death. But for those who are being saved, when they smell the death of Christ, they smell the aroma of life. They see in his death the substitute they so desperately need before God. The Son of God dying in their place is the fragrance of life, so they don't turn away. They believe him and receive him and embrace him and treasure him and they live forever. Smelling Christ as the aroma of life gives life. And what Paul is saying is that we need to be willing to smell like death to some people so that others in us might smell life, the life of the gospel, the life that comes from knowing Jesus. We announce his kingdom in our own lives. Some people are going to respond well to that and others, others are not. And that's just, that's just the reality that Paul is getting at. But this is a, this is a weighty ministry. It is a weighty ministry to know that some people respond to the gospel in our lives and only see death, whilst others will experience life. And Paul gets to this at the end of verse 16. He says, Who is adequate for these things? Who is sufficient to do this task? Who is sufficient to be the fragrance of Christ? Look at us. We are the conquered enemies of God. We are servants in your kingdom. Are we sufficient? Are we capable? Are we enough to do this? And the response must be, no, you're not. You're not sufficient. You're not capable. You are not enough to do this task. You know what? That is the most freeing thing you will ever hear. 
because you don't need to be enough. You don't need to be sufficient. You don't need to be capable because God makes you capable. It is not your own resources that will enable you for this task but God's. He asked this question in a bit of a truth sandwich. In verse 14, he says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of knowledge of him in every place. So who is spreading the knowledge? It is God who leads us. In us, God is doing a work. I'm not responsible for that work. God is. And then in verses 4 to 6, chapter 3, he says this, Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Amen to that. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You are not competent enough to handle this mission. Paul was not competent enough to handle this mission. But that's okay. Because God will make you competent. God will give you the strength and endurance and power that you need to be a sweet-smelling fragrance of Christ. It is the work that God does in you and for you that announces his victory. You know, I, I've told this story a couple of times, but I was, I was meeting one of my mentors, a guy who's uh, coached me over a number of years now, and I was just talking about how I, I really want at the end of my life, when I come face to face with God, to God to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. That after the years spent toiling and enduring and sacrificing and suffering, that God would say, well done. And I remember him saying to me, God already says that to you because of what of Christ has accomplished in you. And I, I broke down in tears. And it's still the hardest thing in the world to believe that God accepts me and approves of me, not because of my own work, but because of what he's done in me. Because what of Christ has accomplished on the cross. That it's about Jesus and not about me. It has nothing to do about me. I'm not the one who makes me competent for this mission God does. God works in us. God works for us. He makes us competent. He makes us adequate. This is a truth that we need to recite to ourselves day after day after day to free ourselves from this thought that we need to make ourselves adequate for God. No, 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 no. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything, but our adequacy comes from God. And Paul Paul finishes the rest of what he has to write, pushing against these super apostles. What he's really getting at is that if your adequacy comes from God, if your competency comes from God, that you don't need to peddle the word of God. Because it says in, in 17, we don't market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need like some letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter, delivered by us, not written with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What Paul is saying is that if we know we are made competent for this task in Christ, 
that God alone makes us competent for this mission and this ministry, then we will be freed from the need to peddle God's word, freed from the need to pump up the gospel, freed from the need to spice it up a little bit, to make it sexier than it appears on the page that we won't seek our commendations from anybody else. We won't seek our commendations from Facebook or Twitter or our family or our friends, but from God and God alone. Because getting our approval from God means that our allegiance is to God. We don't give our allegiance to anybody else but Him because no one else can approve of us but Him. And that sets us free. Because what the world needs more than anything else is Christians who smell like Jesus who smell like the fragrance of Christ, who look like, talk like, and smell like Jesus. And what the church needs more than anything else is people who smell like Jesus, who talk like, look like, and smell like Him. Brothers and sisters, what we need more than anything else is people who look like, smell like, talk like Jesus. So let's smell like Him. Let's look to him, remembering that he makes us competent for this task, but that we owe it to God, that we are a fragrant offering to him through what he has done in us and for us and through us. To him be the glory alone. Let me pray. God, we just thank you for this this word. We thank you for the ministry of Paul, who looked not to powerful oratory skills, who looked not to wealth, who looked not to power, but to Christ and Christ alone for commendation. May we learn the same lesson. May we be a fragrant offering to the world around us, smelling of you, smelling like you, smelling like Jesus, that when people come into contact with us, they go, yeah, that smells like Jesus. We are not capable of this task, but you are capable So make us like Jesus, make us smell like Jesus and fill us with your spirit. Remind us that we're made competent in you, not outside of you, so that we are free from pumping up the word of God, free from seeking commendation elsewhere, but rather we look to you and you alone. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.